You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's October 9th. Throughout the 2020 campaign, many communities on Twitter have engaged in heated political arguments. A new RAND report takes a close look at these online clashes. After examining more than 2.2 million tweets, the authors found convincing evidence of a coordinated effort, likely foreign, to influence the U.S. presidential election. The study examines two kinds of suspicious accounts. You've probably heard of the first type, trolls, which are fake personas that spread hyperpartisan themes. The second type are superconnectors. These are Twitter accounts that spread messages quickly and effectively. Findings show that the pro-Trump community on Twitter had the highest percentage of both types of these accounts, and trolls within this community were strongly supportive of the president, as well as the QAnon conspiracy theory and other content that favored the Trump candidacy. In the pro-Biden community, which also had among the highest concentrations of troll and superconnector accounts, trolls were anti-Biden and either criticized Biden or praised Bernie Sanders. The researchers concluded that the activity from these suspicious accounts may have worked in favor of President Trump and against former Vice President Joe Biden. But notably, the accounts targeted both liberal and conservative Twitter audiences, with the goal of dividing Americans. And while we can't identify the origin of these accounts definitively, the tactics do serve Russian interests and match the Kremlin's election interference playbook. Lead author of the study, William Marcelino, says that these findings show how social media has made it cheaper and easier for foreign actors to mount increasingly sophisticated attacks on U.S. democracy and American political discourse. He says, Many Americans are immersed in online conversations that have been shaped artificially and that are giving them a false and distorted picture of the world. But there's also reason to be hopeful for the future, he says, because this study shows that it's possible to detect and respond to these attacks before an election. This report is the second in our ongoing series on foreign election interference, so stay tuned for more on this topic. A new RAND study released this week finds that the price of insulin in the U.S., which is $98.70 per unit, is often five to ten times higher than in other countries. The analysis provides the best evidence to date about how much more Americans may be paying for this life-saving treatment. The researchers compared U.S. insulin prices to the prices in 32 other high-income nations. They looked at all types of insulin, and while the results from country to country varied, U.S. prices were always higher. For example, U.S. insulin prices were 5.9 times higher than those in Japan, 6.3 times higher than those in Canada, and 8.9 times higher than those in the United Kingdom. The largest difference was between the U.S. and Turkey. In this case, America's prices were nearly 28 times higher. Although the study did not account for potential manufacturer rebates for insulin, the findings suggest that U.S. prices would still have been considerably higher, about four times as much, if these discounts were considered. Why doesn't unemployment insurance treat all workers and all earnings the same? According to Rand's Catherine Edwards, it's because it wasn't designed to. 
When the program was created as part of the Social Security Act in 1935, certain occupations such as domestic and agricultural workers were excluded. Leaving these workers out of the unemployment program was to the detriment of black people, most of whom lived in the South. At the time, it meant that about 65% of black workers were ineligible, compared with 27% of white workers. Edwards says that there was no mistaking who the bill would leave behind. Congress had no intention of creating a program that treated white and black workers the same, she says. They didn't miss the mark on racial equality. They weren't aiming for it. Earlier this year, when COVID-19 hit, Rand education researcher Julia Kaufman was grateful that her children's public school was able to get distance learning up and running quickly. She muddled through like millions of other parents across the country, helping her kids navigate online learning platforms and assignments. But now that remote instruction has resumed in a new school year, Kaufman says the stakes feel bigger. And her past research informs her concerns. Findings from a recent RAND study Kaufman led suggest that many students won't receive the curriculum they need to master or even be exposed to the academic standards they're expected to meet for their grade level. But there are steps that parents can take to help keep their kids on track, says Kaufman. The first is to find out whether the school has adopted strong, standards-aligned curricula. Some states provide reviews of which curricula are aligned with their academic standards, but there are also independent organizations that provide these reviews. Second, regardless of what curriculum the school is using, investigate whether your child is learning new concepts addressed by your state standards. If your child is doing a lot of what looks like rote practice without grappling new concepts, or if they keep making the same mistakes and aren't getting the input needed to improve, you may need to talk with the teacher or principal to better understand the curriculum. And finally, remind yourself that if your children are getting high-quality, standards-aligned instruction, they will likely struggle at least somewhat with the content. They'll need support from you and from their teachers. And if you're concerned, like many parents are, that you don't have the time to provide that support, consider asking your child's school about tutors. After all, says Kaufman, this is a time for all of us to pull together. Volatility has defined the Black Sea region for decades. Look no further than the recent escalation of fighting between Armenia and Azerbaijan, for an example. This area is central to the competition between Russia and the West for the future of Europe. But the Black Sea region's security challenges have not received nearly as much attention as those in Northern Europe. A new RAND report aims to fill this gap, assessing Russian influence and aggression around the Black Sea and how the West might counter it. Importantly, most countries in the Black Sea region must carefully balance relations between Russia and the West. That's why a Western strategy should focus on selective and proactive responses to Russian influence measures, and highlight the benefits of Western integration rather than seeking to discredit Moscow's pervasive false narratives. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.